This recording is from Redemption Church in Tempe, Arizona. More information available at tempe.redemptionaz.com. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to be at this morning. And if you don't have a Bible, slip up your hand, raise it really high, and one of the uh, ushers will be able to come by and give you a copy of the Word. Now, if you don't own a Bible, please keep the one that we are handing out. It is our gift to you. Uh, now, as you turn to Mark chapter 10, I just got one announcement, and um, we have been over the summer and want to continue to, um, throughout the rest of the year, meet with you guys in your marriage. And so we want to hear about your story, how God brought you guys together, to be able to connect with you guys as pastors. And we've had several people, I believe 50 plus couples that we've already met with, and we want to continue to meet with more of you. So if you go online um, at www, um, what's our website? At redemptionaz.com. <laughs> RedemptionAZ.com, you can go and find this actual slide here, click on it, fill out your name, um, email address, and we'll be able to get back to you. Or you can just take the the connection card that's in front of you and the seat back and fill out your name, uh, email address, hey, I want to meet with the pastor about my marriage. Um, Doesn't mean your marriage is bad or good, it's just you're married and we'd love to meet with you and get to know you and uh, sit down with you. And so um, please do that. With that, we're talking about marriage today, which is good because nobody in the world's talking about it these days. And so um, it's important that we talk about it because most Christians now have not thought about marriage in a long time. Um, I thought about this when I was gone and I was supposed to come back on this text. And it's like, how fitting is it that we're going to be talking about marriage after the Supreme Court ruling and whatnot, that you couldn't read anything, see anything, have a conversation, Christian, non-Christian, uh, believing in God, there is no God, without something being talked about in marriage. Um, now, my, my purpose this morning is not to talk about the Supreme Court ruling, um, but to talk about what Jesus says, because that, that's where we are at in Mark. Um, So let me kind of give you a layout of where we're going. Um, First, let me start by saying this. Um, Redemption Arcadia uh, is going through uh, a capital campaign where they're raising funds and whatnot, and so they are doing a different uh, mini-series, which makes them really behind in the Gospel of Mark, so they're going to catch up. And so Frank, the lead pastor there, said he's going to teach all of chapter 10 in one sermon. We're just going to do 12 verses today. Um, And I said, okay, what are you going to do in all of chapter 10? Because there's a lot. And he says, here's my title, and I thought it was brilliant. The Adventures and Missing the Point. And and here's why. There are a lot of things here in Mark chapter 10 that landmines, that Christians often land on and go, here's what Jesus is talking about. And it's like, he mentions that, but that's not his main point. And and there's, there's a bunch of those things. And so what is happening here in chapter 10? So for the next few weeks, here's what Mark is doing. Mark is drawing near in on what it looks like to follow Jesus. The word for that is to be a disciple. And so what does discipleship look like in the daily most um, normal things that we do? And so this week, what does it look like to follow Jesus, discipleship, and marriage? Next week, what does it look like as it relates to children? How do we care for children? Week after that, what does it look like to be a servant? What does it like to care for people, etc.? So this week, it's marriage. Now, in your heading, um, if you have an ESV Bible or the Bible that we handed out to you, which is an ESV, or you have an NIV, or whatever it is, it may say something like, Jesus is teaching on divorce. So let me just tell you something, just in case you don't know. Those are not inspired headings. Um, Those are people who help us understand what that might be about. And I don't disagree with the ESV. I think it's the best translation out there. However, I don't think that this is Jesus' teaching on divorce. So that might be disagreeing. 
but don't tell the people of the ESV that. Um, we like the copies that we get from them and that we can hand out to you. So I don't think Jesus' primary concern here is on divorce. Now, here's what I mean by that, is Jesus has asked a question, which we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna talk about here, about divorce. His answer is to go to marriage. He's asked the question on what's permitted. He goes to what's intended. Meaning there are things that uh, are mentioned in the Bible that a person has grounds for what is called as a biblical divorce. This is not the message for that. So that's one thing I want to just disclaimer up front. The next thing is whenever you talk about anything as sensitive as divorce in a church like ours, in a world like ours, there are many of us who feel the weight of that because we have been through, experienced divorce, close friends, family members, etc. And so we're going to deal with that briefly, but I just want to let you know, today's message is not an exhaustive list of what are biblical grounds for divorce as, a per, as opposed to um, what does it look like as a follower of Christ within marriage. And so that's what we're going to be able to look at today. And there's, there's five questions after. We're just going to walk for the sake of structure. We're going to walk through these 12 verses and then we have five questions that we're going to answer, and we'll just look at those questions at the very end. Um, what's the purpose of marriage? Um, number two is going to be uh, what, gets in the, what gets in the way of married couples experience oneness? Number three will be what if I've made a mess of my marriage? Uh, number four is what if I'm single and looking to mingle? <laughs> number five why does Jesus care so much about oneness in marriage? And so those, we'll get to that after we walk through that. So would you guys bow your heads and let's pray and ask God to, to bless our time this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you for your great love for us. Your great love in creating, your great love, Lord, in redeeming and sending your son Jesus in whom we are also so thankful for. Jesus, we are thankful that you sent your spirit and that we have a witness, Lord, that reminds us of who you are and who we are in you, Lord, that tethers together with the purposes of Christ, with the mission of Christ, but with the person of Jesus, that we are in you, found in you, Lord, spotless, righteous, whole. And so, Lord, I pray all of our doubts, I pray, um, Lord, right now, and all of our fears and our failures as well, that we would be wrapped up in the Jesus in this message, Lord. Those of us who are married, those of us who are not married, those of us who were married, those of us who've been divorced, those of us who've experienced it, all of the, the, the things that happen in a message like this, that your spirit, Lord, would move in such a way that encourages us and points us to Jesus in discipleship. Lord, help us not to miss the point. You care about marriage far more than we do. You created it. It's yours. We enter into it only, Lord, as a gift and command in Christ. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's jump right in. Chapter 10, we're just going to get going here uh, so we can have our time here. Chapter 10 here, it says this, And he left there and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and the crowds gathered around him again. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. So if you can recall, the last few weeks he's been, last few weeks, last few weeks when we were teaching, he's been in Galilee. He's not there anymore. Um, he was in Galilee, and he was doing miracles. He was caring for people. And then he left there, and now he goes to another region. And as is common and custom with Jesus, he begins teaching everywhere. And so there's this kind of public preaching where he'd be talking and people would come alongside and people would listen and go like, what is Jesus talking about now? And there was a crowd. Um, so that's what's happening. What happens next is um, we begin to hear a little bit of Q&A. And as custom with Mark, Mark hardly ever tells us what Jesus is teaching about. He just usually says Jesus was teaching. And then Mark zeroes in on the Q&A. Because everybody knows the best part is not the lecture. It's after the lecture when the Q&A happens. 
And so Mark takes that and says, okay, let's see what the Q&A looks like. And then that's where verse 2 will pick up. And it says, and the Pharisees came up in order to test him and ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? All right. So the Pharisees, if you don't remember, the Pharisees were the religious do-gooders. They, they love God's word, but in a way that they worship God's word, but didn't necessarily know God. That they, they worship the commandments of God, what to do, but not how to do it in the, in the, in the language of love. And so, so far in the first nine chapters of the, of the, of the Gospel of Mark, we've seen the Pharisees and Jesus kind of go back and forth. Like, like the Pharisees don't like Jesus. If you can recall, uh, maybe a month ago when I was teaching on this, we said that there, there should have been this really, really good love there, but now they don't have love. They, they, used to, they should have had mad love we talked about, but you know, we, we talked about that, right? But they don't have that anymore. And so the Pharisees and Jesus don't get along, and so now the Pharisees are trying to test him. Your translation may say tempt. What it means here is not test him to make sure he's good, he can grow in this testing. It's to basically debunk him from where he's at. He's in a position of authority. He's a leader. People are following him. He claims to be the son of God. All of the things the Pharisees don't want him to be. So they try to test him with a question that seems kind of weird, like, hey, um, um, what do we need to do to get divorced, basically? Now, understanding the context is going to help us here. We think that in our day right now that we live in, that divorce is rampant. We think that this is the worst it's ever been. It hasn't been. It's not the worst it's ever been. In fact, most of the stats that we throw out there about divorce are really not necessarily um, accurate stats. If you go back in the time in which Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees here, the divorce rate, so to say, in the Roman Greco world was far higher than it is now. In fact, many of the Roman men would be married some, something to 15 to 20 times. That's a lot, right? And so divorce was there. Now, not as many of the Jewish culture were getting as many divorces, but they were getting divorced, and it was easy to get a divorce. It was very easy. Um, and so the Pharisees were along with that. And there was kind of two rules of thought that would happen in Jewish teaching when it came to divorce. One was more conservative by a rabbi that said, basically said, the only degree or only grounds for divorce that you would have would be adultery. That was more the conservative. And a group of people, a very small group of people, believed in that. Um, on the other side, you had another rabbi who said, basically anything. And it was usually the man who got to make the decision because men ruled in this day. I'm saying what, what, what was happening. I'm describing it. I'm not saying that God ever said that that was the way it ought to be, but that's the way it was. So a man could say on this side of it, basically anything goes from adultery to anything. I mean, there's literally accounts where you could divorce your wife because she made fun of your mother. Like she didn't like your mom. I mean, how many women like their mother-in-laws? And so they, 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 could, they, could, they could divorce for that. They could divorce because, you know, you, you, you cooked something wrong. You burnt something. You could get divorced for that. You, you can get divorced because if you were talking to a man in public and your husband saw you, or you let your hair down in, in, in the presence of another man, right? Now, to be fair, in their culture, letting your hair down w- w- was like showing a little bit too much skin. I was like, oh, right? So if you let your hair down and your husband was like, did, you, did she just let her? Oh, heck no, what? Right? You only do that with me, girl. <laughs> Right? And so they, 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 they didn't like that. Now, what you have is, is that the Pharisees, who were the most conservatives on about everything else in Scripture, happened when it came to marriage and divorce, the most liberal in their group. Meaning, they were okay with anybody walking out of marriage. Um, they, they were okay with that. Why? Because like any other legalist, you want control. And the control laid in the hands of not God, the control laid in the hands of not the woman. The control laid in the hands of the man. And the man got to run stuff. 
He got to have the things the way that he wanted to be. And many Pharisees would have been divorced plenty of times in this day and age and would have justified it. And here's how they would have justified it. Jesus doesn't just answer the question because he understands they're not seeking truth. They're, they're trying to test him. And so Jesus looks at them in, in verse 3, answers them, and he says, well, you're asking me this question. What did Moses command you? I mean, what does it say in the law? And they said, verse 4, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Meaning, this is something that God's word says. They're saying, don't you know? Jesus, you should know. Now, let me just step back real quick. What they're hoping for Jesus to do is a few things. One, they're hoping for Jesus to either side with the conservative side and go, hey, you've just lost the majority. Or to side with the Pharisees, which that wasn't going to happen. Or in the Roman Greco world to say this is wrong, and we already know that Herod was running things, and Herod was in an unbiblical divorce, and then they wanted Jesus to get his head chopped off like Jesus' cousin John the Baptist did. They're, they're trying to test him in some way. And whatever the motives is, their motive is not what's truthful. Because when they go to Scripture, they quote Scripture accurately, but they interpret it wrongly. Meaning, there's a way in which we can know what the Bible says, but not the context of which it's written. So what they quote here, and this is just Bible tools for you, whenever you see like a parenthesis, that's usually like a quote, that means somebody else said it, just like in our language. Um, if you see, using your Bible, a letter by it, you can follow that letter somewhere in your Bible, and they'll let you know where it was originally mentioned or paralleled. And this one, it's Deuteronomy chapter 24. And in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, you have teachings on divorce. Now, the, the original context for that was this. When Moses gave that from God, it was because divorce was rampant. And the reasons why God gave it primarily was to regulate. It was a concession or to regulate something that was going rampant. Meaning people are leaving people left and right, and mainly men getting rid of their wives for no reason other than somebody else makes me happy, right? Still nothing's changed. So something else is making me happy. This no longer makes me happy. Let's just move on. What about the kids? The kids get over stuff like this. No, they don't. We're going on another, we're going on another, another marriage and another marriage and another marriage, et cetera, et cetera. So Deuteronomy 24 comes in that, that says, okay, you need to get a certificate for this. One, it was to prevent the hastiness of just getting divorced, meaning you actually have to have a grounds, and you have to walk through this. You've got to talk to people about this. You've got to have some counseling on this before you can actually get a certificate. And then when you got the certificate, the certificate itself actually, the next thing, it protected the woman because the woman in this culture didn't have very much power or privilege or rights. They were highly dependent upon a man whether it be her father, whether it be her husband, or even her son. And so what would happen is without a certificate, these women would be let go, and people would look at them and think, oh, they, they're bad. They're bad news. They didn't have a way to financially provide for themselves. The stigma was all bad, and it was good for the guy, bad for the woman. And, and God instituted this as saying, no, give her a certificate so that she is not the one that is seen that she's at fault and that nobody else could remarry. Because if she were going to get remarried again without the certificate, she would be committing adultery. Free her. Like, let's care about her so that no one looks at her as a harlot or a hood rat or a, another H word. Like, they, 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 don't, they don't see that. But they see someone created in God's image just like the man is. And so Deuteronomy 24 was a regulation. By the way, it wasn't a recommendation and it wasn't a command. By, by no means was Moses saying, if something happens, get rid of your wife. But that's the way that they interpret it, because they did not want truth. They wanted to be able to do what they wanted to do. Guys, we're no different. We will find something in Scripture 
that promotes our cause. We, we will have something, an agenda, a feeling, a situation, a circumstance, an exception, something, and we'll find something in Scripture. Right there, that's what it says. Always never love your mother-in-law. Somehow it said that, right? Always, never, right? So, so we, we will do that. Well, then Jesus begins to respond, and we hear Jesus' response to the question about divorce. It has nothing to do with divorce, but everything about marriage. Because here's what Jesus is dialing on. Don't be people who pursue. Hear me on this. Don't be people who pursue what's permitted. Be people who pursue what's intended. Here's what I mean. You, you don't teach a pilot how to fly by giving them instructions on crash landing. Right? You teach them how to fly. There, there, there's a place for that, but first and foremost, you don't teach about marriage by saying what's permitted for divorce. Right? And that, that's what Jesus begins to lay into here. He says this in verse 5. And he said to them, because of your hardness of your heart, he wrote you this commandment. He said, here's why Moses wrote this. Because at the very heart of every divorce is their sin there. You may say it was his sin. He may say it was your sin. Regardless, there's a hardness of heart. There's an unwilling to do the things that God has called us to do, first and foremost, and that is believe in him and trust in his ways. To repent repeatedly to those ways. So he goes, Moses did this because the hardness of your heart, because of sin, not because he was saying, this is great, this is good. And then Jesus goes on, he says, but, and he reaches through and beyond the law. I mean, Deuteronomy, um, Numbers, um, Leviticus, Exodus, all the way back to Genesis, and then Genesis chapter 1. He reaches all the way back to the very beginning, to the ultimate authority of it all, to God himself. And he says, verse 6, but from the beginning of, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. What Therefore God has joined together. Let not man separate. He says Moses said something else too. In fact, Moses said this before he even said Deuteronomy 24. And, and let's talk about marriage. Um, not the permission or what's permitted, but let's talk about what's intended. And so he gives a definition. He gives his definition, God's definition of marriage. First, what you see here is that it, God made them male and female. What he's talking about here is, one, elevating the status of the woman to where it ought to be, and that is a co-equal with a man. That God made them both, created in his image, to reflect his image, both male and female. That the man himself is not Lord. The woman herself is not Lord, but God is Lord. That they are equal. They are different, right? Men and women are different. And not all the categories that we make in differences mean they're different. But, and not just biologically they're different, but they're different. There's a man and there's a woman. And he says, I created them both. It means equally and marriage in itself, first and foremost, are co-equals in the marriage. There's not, a, there's not this whole thing of like, she's your better half or he's your better half. You're never half. God didn't go, I was going to finish the rest of you, but Satan was tripping. I had to go do some other stuff. And, you know, you're half today, right? No, no, you're, you're, you're not half. You're whole. And, and marriage is two holes becoming one. It's terrible math. It's terrible math. One plus one equals one when it comes to marriage. I don't know why. And Paul calls it later a mystery. And it's a God-ordained, God-given mystery between this male and this female. And he brings them together. Now, we know in music that if you have two people who are singing the same melody together, we call that unison. And it, you know, it sounds pretty good. Or, or if you have different, diverse people, so you have um, alto, soprano, baritone. I can't even do it. Think boys to men, baby. Think that. Um, you, get, you get them all together singing. Yeah, boys and men. And 
they go together, and it's called harmony. And we know, even from experience, that harmony does something to our hearts and our souls when we hear it, and it's good. What you have in marriage is harmony. You have a man, and you have a woman who are different. And every man in each marriage is different than even the other man in the other marriage. And every woman in each marriage is different than either other woman in other marriage. You can't, as a couple, look and go, man, how come my wife's not? That's not your wife. Stop looking at her, right? You have a wife. So you, you have that um, between a male and female, and then he should leave his father and mother and so forth and come together. Now, that's marriage. Let me just have a, an aside here for a little bit, just a little bit, to deal with a little bit of our reactions, and I say our broadly as Christians to the Supreme Court decision. A lot of the things that we hear now is that Christians bellyaching that they've taken marriage from us. Can I just tell you something, guys? It never was ours to be taken from. Marriage didn't belong to Christians. Marriage was God's. Therefore, it's always God's, and it always will be God's, and as long as we are in Christ, we're okay. We're right where we need to be. Um, In Jesus' time, as he's writing this, as he's speaking this, um, quote-unquote, marriage was being made a mockery of. Um, He he doesn't strike his fist um, as he's being tested. He goes back to saying, here's what is intended, here's what's beautiful, here's what is right, here's what is good, here's what it means to follow God and to be into marriage. And he gives that. I think for us, the hard part sometimes is I feel like there are plenty of us who are so bent on um, defending the definition of marriage than actually pursuing the purpose, which is oneness. Meaning, there's a lot of blogs and a lot of writing and a lot of bellyaching on what marriage is as opposed to, for those of us who are in Christ and married, do we pursue the oneness that God has created for us? Is there a mutual pursuit of one another? Is there, is there continuing a trusting in God? Is there prayer? Is there oneness? Are we doing the things that God has called us to do in marriage? Or is it that we talk about marriage now because now everybody else is talking about marriage? But what Jesus says from the very beginning, this is what he's been doing. And therefore, if he's been doing it from the very beginning, he's going to continue to do it. Amen? It, it, it's something we're called to enter into. Well, let's talk about this entering into oneness. Jesus says this as he continues. Um, that he, made it, he created them male and female. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. You've heard it say, leave and cleave. That language means this, that the marriage relationship is sacred. It's sacred. Um, it's not just, I like you, you like me, girl. Let's get a pastor. Let's get some witnesses. Let's make this happen, right? Tell your friends to get with my friends. We could be friends. We could do this like every weekend, right? That's not, that's not what it is. That there, there is a sacredness of the, the, the covenant of marriage. And it says that the man, you are to, and as well as the woman, leave and cleave. Meaning this sacred covenant, this relationship surpasses the relationship of your family. I should have got all sorts of amens right there. Um, this surpasses the relationship of your family. Now, that your parents, that doesn't mean that you just kind of shun them. That doesn't mean you don't listen to them. That doesn't mean you don't take their advice. You do take their advice. You do listen. You do welcome them in. But when it comes to decisions, these are decisions you make as a couple. Those of you guys who are, who are old enough to have kids who are married, um, let them be married. 
one of the best things that my in-laws ever said to us when we first got married was, you guys do your marriage. We're not entering in. If you need our help, please let us know. But this is yours. We don't want to intrigue. Um, and they've done a great job of doing that. It's been really good because um, Holly and I have a new family. She's always going to be related to them. I'm always going to be related to my family. Um, but we have this new family that's an extension of that. And so there's not like we cut the tie, but, but the umbilical cord, so to say, um, needs to be cut financially, emotionally, spiritually, etc., to leave and cleave, and for this purpose, that you leave one thing and you cleave to another, or another translation that says hold fast. Hold fast literally is like glue sticking things together, that you hold fast to your wife, your spouse, you cling to them, um, that, that, that you hold to them like oneness, like everything that oneness entails, that means we are one spiritually. We worship the same God. We are one financially. It's not your money, my money. It's our money. It's our house. You start our, 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 we, 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 us, us, us. That there's one. That, um, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically. And this is something that you just doesn't happen on the day you get married. It's a one-time commitment and um, vows that you make that begin and result in multiple choices and multiple commitments of being with one another. That the two shall become one flesh. Does that entail physical intimacy? Absolutely. Um, and by physical intimacy, I mean physical intimacy. We had to let some kids in the room, so I'm not going to say it. Physical intimacy, right? <laughs> Whatever you think that means, you're probably right. That, 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 that's something that God has given as a gift in marriage that actually promotes oneness, that there's communication and oneness. And so we have this, this view of God, God says this, Jesus says this, and then let, let what God has brought together, let nobody separate it. And that's what he gives us to you in marriage. And then the last two verses here, what he does is he kind of gives some, okay, here's what divorce, what happens in divorce. So verse 10 here, pick up with me. He says, and in the house, the disciples asked him again about the matter. Meaning he left the crowd, they went to the house, and the disciples were like, hey, can you help us figure this out? And he said to them, verse 11, and he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. What he's saying is this. If you just willy-lilly leave your spouse to be with somebody else, and there's no grounds. He doesn't give all the grounds here. And you just want to be with somebody else because that person makes you more happy. You've shifted from a covenant um, relationship to even a contractual or even consumer. Right? Covenant is, I'm in this relationship for not just what I can give, but also, what, more importantly, what I can give and how I can serve. Uh, a contract is, um, you do your part, I do my part, and everything kind of works out, right? A consumer is, as long as your product is the product that I want, well, this is good. But if I found the product down the street is a little bit cheaper or more readily available or faster or beautiful or this or that, then I can leave this relationship and go to another. Jesus says, if, if it's not a covenant and you're in a contractual relationship, you're in a consumer relationship, um, you leave your spouse just to be with somebody else sexually and married because you, you're actually committing adultery. And he's saying this to a particular people who think that they're okay in their recent marriages. When he's saying, many of you have just left your spouse because they burnt toast. They let their hair down for these very trivial things, and you're married, and you're thinking that God's word is saying you're okay. It's not, because now as God is speaking, he's saying it's adultery, it's sin, it's just as bad as you don't want it to be. It's that. And, and he explains it. Now, he does not give an exhaustive list about that. He tries to highlight what is intended, um, that he wants us as followers of Jesus in discipleship, married people, that we leave and we cleave, 
we hold fast to our spouse. We hold fast to them in every area of our life, that they have to become numero uno to us. They are one. They're not, we don't have names for them that I think demote the role. Guys, when we start saying like, hey man, can you go out tonight? Let me go check with the boss. She's not your boss. She's your wife. And then wives, whatever you say about your husbands, they're not that. I don't know what you say. Um, but <laughs> they're your husbands. <laughs> I don't know what you say. Just don't, 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 just don't tell me. Uh, they're your husbands. They're your, they're your husbands. They are who God has brought you together. Are they perfect? Absolutely not. And guess what? Neither are you. Um, what Jesus is highlighting here and saying let God, what God has put together, let no man separate is, um, we don't control or have authority over marriage. God has and always will. The man does not have authority. The woman does not have authority. God has authority over this institution and this gift. And like any other gift, it is a privilege in which we enter into with the provision, the protection, the commandments, the rebuke, the correction of all that God gives us to enjoy marriage. Amen? All right. Here, here's some questions from that. I think it would be helpful for us to answer, and we'll spend some time on this. Um, what, what is the purpose of marriage? Um, oneness. The, purpose, the over, ultimate purpose of marriage is oneness. Um, Tim Keller says it this way, that every, every single spouse, you should be trying to do this in your, in your relationship, that you should be looking at your spouse and saying, my role in this and my purpose in this is to make you look like ultimately what you would look like in heaven. To help point out the things that need to be pointed out, to encourage the things that need to be encouraged, to be by your side. That's both male and female, that the purpose of it is oneness. And oneness is something that you work at. Some, one, it's something that you continue to do. Oneness is something you constantly are asking questions. You are asking the hard questions. You are saying the good things, not just the right things or the things you think will make people feel good, but you're pursuing that oneness. It's not something that just happened the day you got married. Because all of us know that we drift and we can wander, and we can ultimately not wander into deep, dark sins, and so we think we're okay when we're really not. Uh, one of the things that Holly and I talk about is we want to make sure that we're just not living parallel, parallel lives. And, and if you're married, you may know what I'm talking about. You're doing your thing, and you're not messing me up. I'm doing my thing. I'm not messing you up. I'm not really sinning against you. You're not really sinning against me. We're cool. We pick up the kids on time. Um, you, you cook dinner. I cook dinner. We do this. We're kind of mutual. We're good. We're like tight, right? And, and, and you might have a friendship, or you might have just like, uh, you know, kind of a cohabitation marriage thing going on, but you're, you're, you're not one. You're not one, and we got to be careful of that. And that's something me and Holly have been talking about. Are we just living parallel lives um, where we're just not getting on each other's nerves? Like, marriage in itself is not like, how can I just not get on his nerves? How can I just not get on her nerves, and then we'll be okay? That, you might be okay, but it doesn't mean that you are, you're, you're pursuing oneness. So the purpose of marriage is oneness. Now, here's something I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this. The second question here is, is what actually um, gets in the way of married couples experience oneness? And they're all Fs, by the way. Um, first one is family. Extended family? Listen, husbands, you talk to your mom and your family about anything with your marriage. Let's not have family members jumping over you and doing things, right? Spout, um, wives, you talk to your family. Talk to your own family. Um, every time something happens in your house, you don't need to pick up the phone and go, girl, you won't believe. I know most of you don't talk like that, but... <laughs> Whatever your vernacular is, you know, I'm not saying that everything has to be super secretive, but it's your marriage, right? It's your marriage. Family can get in the way because sometimes they'd like to assert themselves. Our parents, the reality of it is they don't stop being parents, and that's okay. But we need to understand what leave and cleave means. The other thing is kids. I'm guilty of this. We, me and Holly, we're meeting with a couple, and we're just kind of going through. We, 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 you know, you have these things in your marriage where you feel like, why do we keep arguing over some of the same things? Why are we stumbling over this? Let's meet with the couple, talk out loud, right? As, past, as a pastor, we do that too. We, we, we have issues, right? And 
And we're meeting with this couple, and they're asking us questions. And one of the questions they asked Holly is like, okay, right now in this season of life, is Ricardo being an incredible husband or, or something like that? And I'm going like, next question, because we already know the answer to that. <laughs> and, uh, and she says, you know what, I think he's been an incredible father. And I thought, dang, you know? Because I'm sure I, just a week before, I probably was teaching on marriage and what you husbands should be doing and everything. And the reality of it is I was neglecting those things in my own home. And, I, and, and it came to me, and she was right like where I was distant and cold or whatever the language may be with her at the dinner table, not really talking. The boys come in, and I'm like, how was your day? What was this? Let's do it. And I engage with them so easy. You know why? Sometimes it's easier to engage with your kids than your spouse. It just is. Sometimes it's easy to tell them to leave, though, too. But um, there, 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 there is the reality that that could, that could happen. Um, your kids can't be the center of your marriage. They actually could get in the way. The most important things you can give your kids in parenting is that you love your spouse. You love Jesus and you love your spouse. There's moments where you need to tell the kids, not now, you guys can talk to each other, or you can sit still, or you can do whatever. But don't talk right now, because me and mommy mommy and daddy, we're talking right now. This is our time together. And they may not get it, but they'll get it later. And all you're doing is you're being an example. And don't do it because you're being an example. Do it because you want to love your spouse and you want to pursue oneness. So family. The next one here is finances. More money, more problems, is said by the great theologian, Notorious B.I.G., right? <laughs> is, 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 is finances, and that means you have too much, you have too little. Um, some of us are really secretive about it. Are there any secrets? You know, just talk to each other. Make sure that you're on the same page. It's not about how much you make or how little you make. Just make sure you live below your means and that you guys are one in it. Not like, what'd you spend your money on? What'd you spend your money? It's your money. You're one. Number three, familiarity. Um, are you still getting to know each other? You know there's a level of transcendence with people, that, that people are deep. And every single person, we're, we're deep. There's so much substance in people. There's so much you just don't know. You might know the broad categories, um, but do you know things? Like something as simple as this. Here's one. Take away for you guys who are married. Talk to your spouse. No matter how many years you've been, you've been married, hey, is there anybody in your life that has influenced you, whether great, medium, or small, to some degree that I don't know? third grade teacher, math teacher, anybody that's influenced you in a positive way at some level, keep asking questions. That sometimes people think, um, well, I've, I've gotten to know that person. You can never fully exhaust a person. They're, they're, just, they're just the way God has made us in his image. We're just, there's too much to know. And so continue to learn and, and, and discover and study your spouses to know who they are and really get to know them and love them and ask them questions. And even when they don't answer the questions, just keep asking them more questions. And maybe they might be an internal processor and not an outlier processor, which happens in my house. Hold, I ask a question. If Holly doesn't answer right away, I'm like, all right, next question. And then she's answer, next question. And then the, the next day, hey, remember that question you asked me? Here's my answer. And it's like, oh, I... I asked you that question? And, and so some of us just blah, 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 but whatever the questioning method may be, ask the questions and have familiarity. Keep going here. Fatigue. All right? Uh, sleep studies showed, <laughs> better sleep studies showed that 60% of people would rather go to sleep than have sex. But wake up. <laughs> like, um, I know some of you are going, they only ask women that study, right? It's like, no, 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 right? <laughs> Don't be too tired for your marriage. Don't be too tired for marriage. There's moments where I know, I know that I should pray every single night with my wife. I know it. My, it is amazing what happens when I pray two to five minutes, when we pray two to five minutes every night. I mean, nothing crazy. It's amazing what happens in our life together, and our life with people around us. But there are moments where you go, I just want to go sleep. I just, no, no, there's not moments. Every night I just want to go, go to sleep. Um, 
Fatigue is one of those things that actually get in the way. Fear. Fear is when you just are constantly afraid. Some of us go into marriage and we're afraid of getting divorced right away. And we're afraid of this. Or we lord it over people. If you do this, I'll do this. If you do this, I'll do that. Just like this. And you're just, just using fear tactics for your marriage to actually stay together. That's not helpful. Like, the word divorce or the D word should just never be used. Like, it's just not allowed. Like, it cannot come in. It can't come out of your mouth. It, it, it shouldn't be. I was happy when my son was five. He's six now. He goes, hey, Dad, what's divorce? And I said, who told you that? And, of course, some, some kids talked to him about it. I'm like, all right, well, here's what it is. But you never have to worry about that with us. And so when you see Mommy and Daddy telling you to be quiet so we talk, that's because we want to make sure we are loving God. Not, I don't say because we want to prevent divorce. That's not the point. When, we get, when you guys get babysitters because we want to go out, it's because we, we want to make sure we have a loving relationship. That word, divorce and fear taxes, we just can't, we can't, we can't have it in marriage. A couple more here is um, fault finding. It's trust versus suspicion. Like, I believe the best about you. Do you believe the best about your spouse? But they've done, do you believe the best about your spouse? Like, in any situation, do you believe the best? If you hear something, you're driving home, you're like, you know what, I already know, because I know them. I know what type of person they are. I mean, I, trust versus suspicion. That we are easily people, we want to point the finger. All right, maybe it's just my marriage, and not yours, but there are moments in a conversation or an argument that I just want Holly to see my side. Because if she would just see my side, then she'd figure it out. And she would understand why I do what I do, right? And there's moments where she wants me to see her side. And so the whole time, all we're doing is just trying to get each other to see our sides, and we don't see anything, right? No, just me, sorry, just me, I guess just me. Nobody else has ever experienced that, right? Um, you cannot look and say, if you wouldn't have done that, then I wouldn't, fault finding does nothing. Um, love covers a multitude of sin. Um, and here we go. Finger pointing, same thing. You did this. No, you did this. If you wouldn't have done that, it's the same thing. Um, the per- in marriage, we take the principle that we have in Philippians that said you seek the other's interests as more valuable than your own. You take that in finances. You take that in intimacy. You take that in every area and say, I'm here to serve you. In the same way that Christ came to be a servant, which we'll learn about here in a few weeks. And then last year right here is fantasy. Nobody else can give you the intimacy except for your spouse. I don't care what anybody says or what you see on TV or what you see on the internet or whatever. You can't, nobody else can give you what your spouse. God knows that he's given you your spouse. Nobody else can do it. Nobody. You can't listen to the stories that your friends are saying. Women, stop talking about your sexual relationships with your friends. Stop talking about your husband with your friends. Husbands, same thing. Same thing. Don't do it. Women, you, you, it, man, he does this, whether it's good or bad or whatever he's doing, I don't know, right? But you do it, it's not good. It's not celebrating your marriage. It's almost like gossip. Guys, when you do it, you're doing it and you're giving an image of your friends and your boys, of your wife. That's your wife. That's not theirs. That's something between you, God, and your spouse. And he says it's good. I don't think he's saying it's good when you're talking like, yeah, y'all, this is good. No, no. That's you, God, and your spouse. Because in some ways, you could be helping somebody else in something they shouldn't be in. So, um, fantasy, pretending, um, envisioning, looking, um, emotionally, physically, something outside of what God has given you, that will always get in the way of intimacy. So when it's there, kill it. Now, if you're going to women, a friend of yours, and you're confessing, like, this is what I need help with, do it. And guys, if you're going to a brother and cry, do it. If you're going to each other and confess, do it. 
um, but do it for the sole purpose of oneness with God and oneness with your spouse. Amen? These next two are really, really, really fast. The next three. Um, what if I made a mess out of my marriage? Here's what I would say. If you're still married, stay in it and get help. Get help. Can't deal with all of it here on the stage, but get help. God is, God is so faithful. And we can bring different couples on stage, and, and you can hear about what God has done in their life. Um, it, it might hurt. might be hard. But he's faithful. Um, he is the ultimate faithful spouse. And, and so stay in it. If you've been divorced, here, here, here's what I would tell you. God's grace is sufficient to forgive you. God, God is never done with you. You didn't make any decision ultimately to push you out of his kingdom. That the grace of God and the gospel lets us know that you are firmly and always welcome into the family of God. You may walk with the limp that some of us don't walk with, but you still walk because you walk by faith and not by sight. And so God's grace is extended ultimately, even in that area. And here's the deal. We have plenty of people below the age of 30 in our congregation who have gone through divorces. And so we are with you. There is no stigma. There is no, you shouldn't be here. I can't believe it. What happened? Were you a Christian or were you? Listen, you've been through it and God's grace covers you. And as people who have not, we walk alongside you and, and, and extend the grace of God to you. Amen? We need that as a people. Um, number four here, what if I'm single and looking to mingle? All right? <laughs> um, that means you're single and you actually want to be married. Not every single person wants to be married, and that pressure should not be put on you. But if you are looking to be married, hey, look for someone who loves Jesus deeply. Um, someone who you've been able to watch and your friends and your family and his friends and family, and they've been able to see that this particular guy or this girl loves Jesus. Um, here, here, Let's not try to, uh, we, we want like the best of all the worlds and we want to create what we think is the ideal spouse. And so women, oftentimes you, you're waiting for Jesus to come back. Like, hey, my youth pastor told me this is what he's going to look like. He's supposed to do this. He's supposed to pay for everything. He's supposed to open every door. He's supposed to be strong and weak, tall and short, brown head, beard, no beard. I mean, just everything, right? And so you're waiting for Jesus to come back. That's fine. Just wait for Jesus to come back and you'll be single for the rest of your life, which is fine, right? But if you're, you're a woman, you want to look married, hey, Men are sinners, <laughs> um, so don't wait for perfection. But at the same time, don't just go and say, well, you know, these Christian guys are lame. They don't even be asking girls out. And so I'm, I know you don't talk like that. <laughs> and sometimes they are. <laughs> but uh, someone who loves Jesus deeply. I'm so thankful that Holly loves Jesus deeply. Now, are you going to be attracted to him and all that? Yeah, you need to be attracted to the person. Guys. Um, God is not sending you your spouse um, walking down Palm Walk or hanging out at the W, right? Um, look for someone who loves Jesus. Not to say that people walking down Palm Walk don't love Jesus. I'm just saying, look for someone who loves Jesus deeply. Not perfectly, but deeply. And that's, that's, that's what I would say. And don't enter into a covenant with somebody who does not worship your God. If you're not a Christian here, I'd say the same thing to you. Have the same worldview with somebody because those, those like-minded things matter a lot. Last question here, and we'll close. Why does Jesus care so much about oneness and marriage? One, oneness in itself is a reflection of God himself. It's a three being one. That the three being one, they don't lose being themselves. The Father is the Father, the Son is the Son, the Spirit is the Spirit. And yet they're three in one. There, there's this beautiful mystery in the Trinity and there's beautiful mystery in the marriage that when you become married, you don't, you, you, you're still a person and you're still two people but yet you're one, and there's a beauty in that. And God has designed it to be a reflection of that. Um, the, the other question that comes from that is, you, you know how you never want to receive parenting advice from people who don't have kids? 
right? You know that, that, that college student that's in their master's that's, that's doing like family care studies is like, well, Ricardo, you know, I'm like, shut up. You don't have no kids, right? I don't say it that way. I say it with grace. Um, <laughs> and, and, um, or you don't want to see marriage advice from people who are not married. Here's what I would say. People who are not married actually could give really good marriage, marriage advice because they're idealistic enough to make you actually think about reality. I mean, seriously. Some of you, my non-married friends will post, like, you know, because you know what non-married people do really well that married people don't do? They date. Um, like, they do really nice things. They think about gifts. They say really nice words. Like, they pursue people. Like, all the things that we're supposed to do as married people. Um, but then the question goes, well, why should we listen from marriage advice from the two people who talk about marriage the most, Jesus and Paul? And they're not married, Right? Well, here, here's what we understand about Jesus, is that Jesus himself does everything that he calls us to do. That he's the one who actually leaves the comfort of his home and his father and then holds fast to his bride. And he holds fast to his bride even though she runs out on him all the time. That there was ever a, um, a biblical ground for Jesus for divorce, he has it, because we in our own actions constantly are worshiping and being with other gods human approval, control, um, acceptance, etc., and not with him. And yet even in our unfaithfulness, he remains faithful to us. That he's the one that g goes through it and selflessly sacrifices himself for his bride to bring beauty to us through his love for us, that he pursues us, that he's the one in the relationship, not so much of what he can get, but what he can give that we may be able to have. So when you look at Jesus ultimately from the lens of marriage, you realize he's not just the example, but now those of us who are in Christ, we now have the power and the strength, um, the union of the Holy Spirit that tethers us to Christ to be able to do all that God has called us to do. Jesus did this even though it would kill him, and he knew it would because we were worth it, because we were his bride. So he gives us the picture of marriage, that the way to achieve intimacy and beauty and love and all the things we have is not necessarily the way the world talks about. It's not just about being happy, but it's about me giving myself uniquely, supremely to Holly in a way that I will never give myself to anybody else. And for Holly doing the same things for me. And if you're married to your spouse and your spouse to you, if you're not married, that you look for that one, that you will be able to do those things too. But you do it all in the strength and the union and the power of Jesus Christ, who ultimately is the bride of the church. Amen? It's messy, it's bloody, but he says it is finished and he says it is good. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we confess, Lord, we need you more than we can even imagine. Um, we need your help, we need your love, we need your direction, we need your clarity. Father, I pray for those who are struggling in their own marriage, Lord, that you would be the lifter of their heads, that, Lord, those, Lord, who do seek it um, in maybe unhealthy ways, who seek marriage in ways, Lord, that are um, outside of your will, God, that you would redirect and you would encourage through your word, that the power of Christ, Lord, would continue to reign, the love of Christ, Lord, would be manifested. And we say these things in Christ's name and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.